around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to the greatest discovery. A Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm your host, Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I had a thing. Give me that thing. You know, I'm here here in Los Angeles now, and we got invited over to the in-laws house for a dinner party. Ooh. And I was talking to, like, you know, my wife's parents' friends about what I do for a living, which is always yeah. a little bit annoying. Uh Ben, it's why I skipped my own high school reunion. I don't like that question either. I got in one of these conversations where somebody's like, oh yeah, I've I've listened to a podcast. Do you know uh, Mike Miller or Steve, Jeff Miller, maybe? The movie podcast? You know? Wow. Like, <laughs> like just vaguely remembering having heard of a podcast one time <laughs> and, and like... Couldn't give me couldn't give me a a show name or or even really remember who the host was, but then Adam, I got a curveball, which was so you're watching the new show, right? Star Trek Discovery. I was like, yeah, we are actually doing a special show about Star Trek Discovery, and we're watching it. And he said, I've really enjoyed it. And somebody else at the table was like, oh, I love Star Trek. I didn't realize that there was a new show. And I said, yeah, well, it's only on this streaming service that CBS is trying to push. And they're using this show to push the streaming service. And the guy that brought it up initially, the guy that couldn't remember the other podcast he had ever heard of, was like, nope, it's on television. It uh, it airs Monday nights. And I was like, (laughs) oh, well, geez, I heard wrong but what I was thinking in my head was, like, this guy has no fucking idea what he's talking about with anything he says to me. But I don't want to, like, sit here and, like, explain to him that he's wrong. God, I am so fucking tired of the confidence of the wrong right now. There's no upside in correcting these people, it feels like. No. So I had to sit there and go, like, yeah, I guess uh, maybe here in L.A. Uh, it's airing on Monday nights on CBS. Yeah. Boy, really a brave programming choice by CBS to put it up against Monday Night Football. Here's what CBS did. They said, <laughs> well, let's put it on TV in some markets, like, say, Los Angeles, but other markets, like, say, New York. Let's not. Were you just, like... The the heavy clinking of silverware on plate on your side of the table, just like angrily stabbing <laughs> at your food. I was uh, I was thinking about the fact that my father in law was often another part of the house, sick in bed, and I was envying him. Oh boy! Well, you've been sick long <laughs> enough, Ben. Yeah, if, uh, I've I've been sick long. I've been sick hard. Shall we get into this episode, Adam? Yeah, let's do it, Ben. Let's talk in great detail about Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 4, TLDR. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Don't Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? Haven't the slightest idea. This episode has a, a fun open, which is that we are in some sort of 
crystallization electric storm nightmare, which is revealed to be the replicator making a new uniform for Michael Burnham. We're seeing it from the molecular scale. This is one of my favorite things that Star Trek so rarely does, is like showing me how the world works, but the minutia of it, you know? Like, where do they get these uniforms? They, there isn't a transport ship that brings them, obviously. There's not a rack of them. <laughs> They're just going to make one in a replicator. Did they have replicator in TOS, or is this kind of like a retcon? I feel like this might be a retcon, man. I mean, they were rocking replicator-less as recently as Star Trek VI. Uh, I, I submit to you as, as evidence the mashed potato <laughs> scene. I also, like, I guess in TOS, like, sometimes they'll go to like a panel that will slide open and reveal that there's like a cup of soup in there for them or something. But it doesn't seem like, it seems like more like an automat than the ship is fabricating that on the molecular level. Right. And in this way, uh, Michael Burnham has wordlessly made her decision, the decision to join the crew and, uh, and take the captain up on his offer. She gets no rank. She has like an, uh, an empty area on her shirt where her her insignia and rank would be. Uh, so that's an interesting bit of costume detail. You don't want to walk around with an empty area, Ben. <laughs> I got I got like a little uh, manscaping razor, and I've been emptying my area regularly. <laughs> you want to do that over a thing if you can. Like you want right, to you want to yeah. put down a towel. I think that's probably yeah. a good idea. Save yourself some cleanup. That's what I say. (laughs) Ben, it took four episodes of this show to finally get past character introduction. Three competing storylines in this episode, I feel like, and all of them are fairly interesting to me. How does the spore drive work? Is this science vessel going to turn the corner and become a warship? And does Michael Burnham have a death wish? These are all fun (laughs) questions to answer, and I think we get a, a variety of different answers as we go. The plant at the beginning of this episode is that uh, Tilly walks into the shared quarters uh, with Michael and uh, holds up a space duffel. Burnham, Michael, do you accept the last will and testament of Captain Philippa Giorgio? Which is not really something Michael wants to sink her teeth into in Tilly's presence. So it's like shoved under the bunk and they get to work. Ben, if you were to tell me before Star Trek Discovery premiered that one of the main sources of joy for me in watching the show would be the amount of luggage envy that I that I experience, <laughs> I would never have believed you. But I'm looking at this at this roundy pelican and I'm like, Oh, I want that as a tripod case. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I uh actually have a a round pelican tripod case here in my Airbnb with me right now that does not look dissimilar. It's not mine. I'm a, It's on loan from a production company. If pelican were smart, they would get on this <laughs> merch, man. Sell these special yeah. Star Trek pelicans. <laughs> yeah, but don't you think if, you, if you're on set and some guy shows up with his Star Trek tripod case, wouldn't you kind of hate that guy? It's the Filson problem, right? When you when you yeah. when you see someone show up with a Filson bag, you you immediately you immediately cast judgment on them. It says a lot about that person. Yeah, it does. But that doesn't stop me from wanting one of these fucking cases. <laughs> I don't have to take it out of the house, but I think I might want one. 
Ben, the other piece of merch that I really want for myself that I never expected to covet is a pillowcase. I want a Star Trek Discovery pillowcase, man. And you get close-ups of this, like, twice an episode now. Yeah, Michael, I, I guess Michael Burnham doesn't probably doesn't get to go to the fun parts of the ship, being that she's sort of a disgraced person. Right. So uh, she she spends a lot of time just, like, staring at the ceiling above her cot. To be clear, if I had to choose a pillowcase, I would want Michael's and not Tilly's, because Tilly's is covered with drool. There's no amount of laundry detergent in the universe that's going to get that thing to seem clean to you. No. Submit breath scan for entry. Michael gets called up to the bridge and bumps into Seru on the elevator on the way up. And I guess uh, the captain never told Seru that uh, he was adding Michael Burnham to the crew roster. I don't think Lorca and Seru are getting along at all, man. No. If that's the case. This is the first indication that uh, in this episode that they are not really pals. The Exo's job is basically crew roster. It's pretty messed up that he would keep that from him. So, yeah, his fear boner is all out, uh, and uh, we actually get a name for it in this episode. His threat ganglius. <laughs> so uh, he, he like, basically tells her, like, all of the stuff that he complimented her on in terms of being capable and smart was was purely theoretical in his mind, and he is not pleased that she is still on the ship. And I guess that kind of solves for what his fear boner was about when he watched the the uh, shuttle warp away in the last episode. Right, exactly. They get up to the bridge, and uh, and Lorca and the assembled bridge crew are are like in media race Kobayashi marooing it. It does not go well. They're witnessing their ship being attacked by simulated Klingon ships, and they're not doing that great. And Lorca is pissed. Lorca's pissed the way that Gene Hackman's pissed uh, during their drill times on the Alabama. It's not great. There's a lot of Crimson Tide in this episode, Adam. There's a lot. No, there's no fire uh, to use as an excuse. <laughs> So he he basically says, Saru, great, you're here. Uh, get these idiots whipped into shape. More drilling. I'm uh, I'm going with Michael Burnham down to my uh, my terrifying biology lab, and uh, that is not a turn I was expecting this show to take this soon. Like they set up this the bio lab where the terrifying monster uh, is being is being kept, and uh, I you know. The ship was supposed to be a cabinet of secrets, and it seems like every time a secret is established, it's like very quick that our main character gets brought in on the secret. That's fair. I mean, how many of the rest of the crew are looking at Michael with contempt and also envy at this? Like, how long have they served aboard this science vessel without getting a glimpse into the Frankenstein closet? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, that seems like a cool room. I love science. Can I go in there? Nope. Sorry. Totally off limits. <laughs> she can go in, though. Yeah. And so Lorca gives Michael her task for the foreseeable future, which is they got this monster, and uh, he is very curious about the fact that it got shot a bunch of times and got bat left a bunch of times and shows no damage, and yet it was able to 
shred the hull and kill a bunch of Klingons. So it seems to be like great at inflicting damage and also great at uh, sustaining damage without getting a scratch. And uh, he tells her, uh, you know, like, what is a claw that can rip through through a hull? What is a fart that can clear a room? I want you to find out and weaponize it. In a very on-the-nose, aliens sort of attempt here. Right. This beastie gets na- gets the name Ripper, which <laughs> was uh, what my roommates in college called me. Um, <laughs> Maybe half the episode is about Michael's relationship to this thing, the Ripper. She, in her intuition, is able to grok fairly quickly that this is a maxi tardigrade, a inflated tardigrade, and starts postulating right away that this thing is not is not a threat unless it's threatened. This this thing is like a teddy bear. Why? Why do we keep poking at it? it? We're just provoking a defense mechanism in it. Why don't we try being friendly and studying it? And this is something that Lorca is not down with at all. Yeah, well, like, uh, Commander Landry comes down and she's like, hey, like, I'm the tactical officer and you're trying to figure out how to weaponize the uh, the Ripper here. So uh, why don't we work together? And Burnham is like, Listen, like, kind of my theory here is that this is not a an attack dog at all, and Landry is not interested in that theory. <laughs> Landry, like all horror film teenagers, is like, <laughs> is too brave. Yeah. Braver than she needs to be, because she's like... And if he needs us to make that thing useful in his war effort, that's what we're going to do. In a scene that ends fairly predictably with the death of a glass table (laughs) and with the death in sickbay of Commander Landry. How about Star Trek Discovery going out and killing its crew people right away? That's fun. Yeah, everybody is, uh, everybody seems killable on this show. Yeah. She, uh,. in the the proud tradition of Tashiar, buys it early in the first season. Yeah. Uh, unlike Yar, we were deprived of a nice holographic funeral farewell situation. ceremony. Yeah, yeah, we don't get that from her. Does that uh, robo lady that works on the bridge keep <laughs> a uh, keep a little copy of that in her desk drawer? What's up with that robo lady that lives on the bridge, Benjamin? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know that this deep into the past, you will run into my. <laughs> Early era real dolls. <laughs> dolls that did not look or feel lifelike in any way. They had the shape of humans, but none of, <laughs> none of the look. You can warm your body against against the, the heat of its processor, but there's nothing <laughs> shaft about these real dolls in version one. I almost drove myself out of business because they needed so much servicing because they weren't flexible or durable. Certain parts had to be replaced frequently and the warranties were a little bit too generous. Have you ever really, really liked a car? (laughs) These early versions were sort of like that. 
I hope we do find out about that lady, though. Yeah. Because there was also the, like, the the character with the, like, iMac from, you know, like, the, the blue iMac head on uh, on the Shenzhou. Was that an earlier model of the of the robo lady on uh, on the discovery they're doing a ton of like reaction chat reveals without giving us any story about a bunch of these people like there's one reaction chat dude on this bridge who looks like he should be captain he has captain hair like <laughs> he has like a v-shaped torso and captain hair and he wheels around twice in this episode that guy should be in command he's got it all I feel like every single one of these actors is watching the show going like, what? They cut my monologue. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I kind of, like, they are behaving in a way where they all seem to be presented as though we know who they are and what they do. And we don't really yet. Like, we don't know what any of the jobs on on the bridge are, aside from tactical and, I guess, the, like, pilot. It's got to be so frustrating to, like, you know they're saving this for the end of the shoot day, right? All right, we're going to do some uh, bridge seat wheel arounds. Let's start up here, and we'll just work our way across the bridge. Everyone gets three takes, and that is it. Sam, you went counterclockwise there. I told you. Keeping it clockwise. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? Leaving a counter, Ben. Those Klingons? RSVP Commander Landry, Ben. She uh, she really got ripped up. That is about as nasty a a gore as... Uh, I mean, that's, I feel like, even nastier than the gore that we saw last time. I don't feel like... I feel like it was 50-50 on TNG. When someone went through a table, half over half the time they die, but not 100% of the time. I'm glad they're bringing along that proud legacy of glass table smashing. She also screams bloody murder when she's getting attacked. Like, it's such a, such a blood-curdling scream. Computer, life's maximum. Your curiosity about what happens when the ship goes from science to warship uh, is satisfied in this episode. They get a FaceTime, a 3D FaceTime from an admiral... Uh, a very severe Bob who tells Lorca that there's a an important dilithium mine that's being attacked by Klingons. They've only got enough shielding to protect them for the next six hours. So Lorca's motivation in this is, like, get this spore drive going so that we can go in there and save the day. Under warp, there's no ship that's nearly close enough, including us, but... Our our spore drive can get us anywhere we want instantly if it's working. And uh, it's a fun smash cut to Lieutenant Stamets saying, this is not happening, buddy. Lorca is frequently cracking the whip on his crew. And for a guy, like, he... <laughs> He takes every opportunity to mention to anyone who will listen that he is a warrior, he's into war, he's read The Art of War, <laughs> he is ready to go to war, but they give they gave him command of a science ship. Like, full stop. <laughs> That's what they did. That has got to aggravate him so much. He doesn't care about the details of the science at all. Like, right. he goes in there, and he's like, let's get there. And the guy's like, well, no, there's reasons that we can't. And he's like, I don't care about those reasons. Solve them. We have six hours, bub. Like, I think because he didn't go over to the Glen and see all the twisted bodies and how fucked up it was over there, 
he does not grasp how dangerous it is to take this course of action. <laughs> they have like a real blowout where Stamets is like, I'm taking all my spores and I'm going home and you can fight them with your warp engine, you jerk. And like the the second big time callback to Crimson Tide in this episode that made me sure that they were doing this episode at us, Adam, <laughs> was Lorca did the the Captain Ramsey turn on the turn on the radio and really like kick everybody's yeah. morale in the nuts move where he just plays the audio of people in peril in this uh, dilithium mine. Yeah, all that was missing was the Sarah McLaughlin accompaniment music. <laughs> really pulled at some heartstrings here. Yeah, adopt a dilithium miner today for only a dollar a day, the, less than the price of a cup of coffee. You can save a dilithium miner from, from a Klingon aerial attack. Lorca, like, is a little small-minded about this because he wants to make the jump all in one go. But... Like, they've pulled off short jumps before. Why don't they do 10 short jumps? What is this problem? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, is it is there enough time spent, do, like, setting up for the jump that doing 10 short jumps would not actually save them time or something? Like, they, I feel like they could have resolved that with a little bit of dialogue, and they, and they didn't. Right, or it could be a consumable issue with the spores. You don't want to burn a whole capsule on a shorty if you can do the whole go at once. And that's the other thing is that the the Glen was doing long jumps and they got a bunch of equipment from the Glen that Stamets is not really sure what all of it is or what it does. And he's got some kind of ideas, uh, but but it's not really worked out. And that is that is a problem. Like the long jump is... Still has a bunch of unknown variables to solve. So they hit the switch and do a jump, and it does not go well. <laughs> they fly way off course, uh, super close to a star. They have to do like a sort of an Emmelman out of the gases of this thing to get to safety. Sort of a close one here. Yeah. A close one that does not discourage Lorca from making the attempt again. Or from uh, Lieutenant Saru from showing everybody his ganglia. We should also talk about what's going on with the Klingons in this episode, because they're back, baby. We got Voke on his ship, and he's surrounded by his now starving crew, because it's six months later, they haven't moved an inch, and they are in the middle of this piece of space where there's nothing for them like there are no natural resources all the ships around him have been stripped for stuff to eat like what are they gonna do and the natives are getting restless yeah his uh the lady that's that's kind of stepped up as as his second is like dude what you gotta do is go get the dilithium processor from the shenzhou and he's really standing on some kind of like misbegotten sense of pride about using Federation technology to patch the ship back together. It's been six months, dude. <laughs> like you're yeah. adrift. That is really fix dumb. the ship. <laughs> Super dumb by him, <laughs> I think. That's how you lose morale. Yeah. I mean that's how you prove to your crew that maybe you're not a great leader for them to be following. Yeah. And uh and she's like she's really got his back and like they have a conversation at one point where he's like, so I'm kind of dumb, and you're kind of smart, 
Why are you helping me? <laughs> and uh, and she she basically reveals that she kind of want like her her game is to be the power behind the throne. Like she wants him uh, to be a leader because she th- sees leadership potential. She's like the Karl Rove to his George W. Bush. Right. She's a power bottom. <laughs> um, but she's like a very interesting character. Like maybe the most complicated. Uh, Klingon character that we've gotten so far. She cops to wanting power behind the scenes, and in so doing, she sort of reveals how duplicitous she could be to Voke, but he's just too dumb to pick it up. He finally swallows his pride, and they go get the dilithium processor. By the time they get back to uh, to the uh, the ship that Takuvma left to Voke in his uh, last will and testament, uh, it has been taken over. Yeah, and all it took was a buffet. <laughs> you throw some gawk at these guys, and they're they're yours. Food does a ton for morale, man. All it took was a couple of uh, XXL turkey legs and uh, and some <laughs> octopus, and these Klingons are happy. You ever like in college show up to your own dorm room or or apartment or whatever to discover that there's a party there that you weren't really <laughs> notified of or invited to. <laughs> no so you don't identify with that at all is what you're saying yeah i do what 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 what's happening top of the morning to you this episode is brought to you by the saint patrick's day shamrock shavers manscaped this year don't just chase rainbows make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below the kilt care I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I'm trying to save you. What is this? That's Saru. Fucking hates, hates Lorca, right? I don't know if you're Lorca, why you keep Seru around as your XO, if this is how you're going to treat him. Lorca's sort of acting like an admiral right now instead of a captain. And I don't think that Saru is going to be long for second in command here. I think the telegraphing in place here is that Michael is going to be field promoted to second in command fairly quickly. That's what I'm predicting anyway. Hello. So Michael's playing around with this bear, figures out that, that she can feed it and domesticate it like like a like a pit bull, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like she feeds it spores. Ben, you're you're someone with a dog. You you know you want to take Ripper down to the uh tardigrade park. Let him run around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, let him uh let him sniff the other tardigrades and and roll around in the spores. Uh, Stamets, uh, I was pretty surprised to see agreed to this, um, but it's it's pretty clear to him pretty quickly that the the tardigrade and uh, and the spores have a a very close interaction, and they're even able to figure out that the tardigrade has the map of the explored galaxy in its head, and when they plug it into the computer, uh, it can actually solve the math problems that their computer couldn't solve to uh, make this make this uh, spore drive work. I was surprised that Stamets was so into this because it seemed to me that like the spores had a substantial dollar value attached to them. <laughs> and the idea of letting Tardigrade XXL just sort of run around in them like seemed like it would jeopardize the mission of going and rescuing the the Corvan settlement, right? And I guess we should mention the thing that we didn't mention before is like this this Corvan settlement's under attack by the Klingons. Uh it's important because it is a main mining operation of dilithium for the Federation. And if this thing falls, like I guess half of the their dilithium goes away and their chances of winning a war uh at half strength, W slash R slash T dilithium, uh are not good. I mean, talk about installations with a substantial dollar value. (laughs) 
It's the praxis problem, right? It's it the is, yeah. uh, it's it's uh it's what caused the uh the Klingons to come aboard the Enterprise in undiscovered country. Yeah, they are acutely aware of how important this stuff is. So seeing how snug as a bug Tardigrade XXL is within the the spores, they're like, Well, why don't we beam him in to engineering and hopefully all of this tech that we took from the glen will like like this is ridiculous right they have all this yeah. tech from the glen none of it turns on they don't know what it does and as soon as they put the tardigrade in the room with it it like connects to him like it's like a cow milker like with the with the yeah. udder suckers like totally <laughs> plugging into the tardigrade all is right with the world because stamets's computer screen lights up and he's like holy shit we got a map to the whole universe this tardigrade had it in his brains the whole time. Let's go. And uh, and Captain Lorca's like, yeah, that's good enough for me. That's all the information I need. I haven't been present <laughs> for any of this, by the way. Uh, I'm just going to trust my my science officer. I was just eating some Thai food in my at my weird standing desk. But uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go save the day. And like save the a, day uh, they do. Like a Tenenbaum, you want to take your coffee at your desk while standing to save time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they like, burst into existence right over top of the colony, and uh, they, like, they do this wait for it, wait for it, wait for <laughs> it, and then they burst out of existence, leaving a bunch of explosives in their wake and uh, take out all of the Klingon bird of praise. And as the wreckage of the Klingon spaceships rain down on their <laughs> on their home, the colonists run out in exultation. We ran into this problem in a thousand different movies like Armageddon, right? You don't want to destroy the meteor because then you have the meteor shards raining down on you. Lorca having demonstrated that he can shoot down Klingon birds of prey, like decides not to shoot down the rest of them in favor of what's flashy. Lorca's super flashy. So what's the problem? Now we all know the Discovery is a <laughs> Federation starship, but what this scene also presupposes is maybe it's a pizza cutter? <laughs> because once that saucer starts a spinning, don't come a knocking bin. The tardigrade ripper is not doing great post-spore drive jump. It's been kind of milked to death. It's making those sad animal noises like uh, like the Triceratops in Jurassic Park. Yeah, Michael is really uh, is really feeling for this guy. Like brings brings him an extra can of spores and uh, and is pretty concerned that uh, that they have done this amazing warp at the cost of a pretty barbaric act of animal cruelty, which is very unstarfleet. I, and it still may happen, Ben, but I was positive that Michael Burnham would, would meld with the tardigrade. Does she have that power? Can she meld with the tardigrade and then put the map in her head and then get into engineering, <laughs> like get into the apparatus and, and be the navigation system for the ship? Could she have Vulcan neck pinched the tardigrade and prevented it from mauling Landry to death. Spock melded with a whale. You don't have to be a humanoid <laughs> to, to meld with a Vulcan. The question is, can Vulcans teach you how to meld, or is it something biological, like, uh, like it is with Betazoids? I don't know. Tune in next week to find out. <laughs> 
my people were biologically determined for one purpose alone to sense the coming of death. What? To sense the coming of death. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming now. None of it makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me. Last little bit of the episode is uh, Michael Burnham opening the tripod case. We get a little Obi-Wan hologram after death scene with uh, Captain Giorgio, which is pretty touching and pretty and pretty hard for Michael because Giorgio is like, I'm sure you're captain of your own ship now. You're doing great. I'm uh, really proud of how far you've come. Not not the easiest thing to hear when uh, when she is kind of disgraced. When you've double-crossed someone, the last thing you want to hear over and over again is how much that person loves you and feels like you're their daughter. She really rings that bell over and over again. Great to see Georgiou again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was a little surprised to get her on screen. Yeah, and I'm really glad that she didn't have time in the midst of the Battle of the Binary Stars to uh, get her attorney on the line and change her will at the last minute. I don't understand how the telescope got there, though, Ben. How literally did that happen? Yeah, that was definitely aboard yeah. the Shenzhou. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, And clearly they didn't go back to the battle site to to rip stuff out of the ships, because if that was something that they did, then I'm sure the Shenzhou wouldn't have had its functional warp core in it. <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's touching, but it is a fairly big hole in this story. I'm sure someone will, will tweet me, much like I was tweeted about, uh, you know, they made the Starfleet symbol as a way to get uh, to get rescued on the surface. I'm surprised you didn't know that's why they did that. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. It doesn't make it any less dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Vok, the uh, the uh, torchbearer, and his I don't I don't know if I know the lady's name. That's uh, that's you know the power behind the throne. Power bottom. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. So they've been mutinied off to Kuvma's ship, which uh, which warps off, and uh, uh, this is uh, this is setting up a villain who's got even more of an axe to grind than he already did in the first place. Yeah, no kidding. I was surprised and excited that we got this scene from Voke's point of view instead of the departing ship's point of view. Yeah, it was cool. Did you like this episode, Adam? Yeah, I I think I liked it mostly because we're past the introductions, right? And we're into story. And the, the story up to now is fairly interesting to me. I mean, Michael Burnham's frequent death wishes are starting to get a little old. Like, I think eventually she's going to turn the corner and not be so interested in dying for her crime. But she is so brave right now to the degree that she's just willing to die during studying the tardigrade that, like, I know she knows her utility on the ship. Like, why is she so interested in, in dying in the line of duty? I don't know that yet, but... I guess the that's a long way to give you a short answer, which is I did like the episode, Ben. How about you? Yeah, I I feel like this this might be like the first mainline episode, right? In a weird way, like almost like the first two were the prologue, the third was the pilot, and this is episode two. 
Yeah, if this were a book, that is definitely its structure. I guess I'm I'm getting a little concerned that they're not resolving enough per episode. Like a better use of an episode of television is a monster of the week if you're not going to sure. move the move the myth arc, which is something I love about you know, TNG and X-Files and stuff. So I hope it doesn't devolve into too much, just kind of like double-crossing for the sake of burning tape. I think this episode introduced one thing that made me concerned for you as well, Ben, which is the the viability of a deus ex machina. Like, the the functional drive system of Discovery now makes, you know, flying around the universe instantaneously you know, an effective way of transportation. And if that thing is successful a bunch of times, that's going to be pretty weak, right? It's going to be hard to explain why they did not keep having that technology. Right. Speaking of things that we can't explain the existence of, why don't we check those Priority One messages? (laughs) Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Adam, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature and it goes like this Beard Wars is a card game where you try and collect the other player's bearded army built for two or four players you use your wits along with modifier cards to buff your fighters or weaken theirs. The player to collect the most beard trophies wins if you have a beard, know someone with a beard or have ever seen a beard (laughs) then this game is for you search Beard Wars on Kickstarter uh, mention my name too, Michael Murdoch, illustrator and creator. Uh, so uh, yeah, that that sounds like a lot of fun. It's a beard-based card game on Kickstarter. I feel like I could never qualify to play a beard-based card game. Are you telling me you've never seen a beard, Adam? Yeah, I guess I've seen a beard, but what would I know about a beard? I've never grown one. I'm incapable. <laughs> I'm like Voke. I, I, I'm from No Beard House. <laughs> house of No Beard. Ben, we have a second Priority One message here. It is of a personal nature. It is from Raz. It is for Plavim. And the message goes like this. New podcast. Who dis? <laughs> End of message. Amazing. That might be the new highest cost per letter priority one message we've ever received thank you raz new leader in the clubhouse and no surprise that it would be from raz <laughs> well if you're interested in uh, in breaking that record or advertising for a beard based game you can go to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron where commercial messages are two hundred dollars personal messages are one hundred dollars They're a great, great way to get the word out on whatever you're trying to get the word out on and also support the ongoing production of our show. Yeah, just to give a little sense of scale here, like that's, you know, thousands and thousands of people will hear your message. So if you've got a Kickstarter to promote, such as Beard Wars, the beard-based card game, (laughs) uh, what, what better way? You may feel like for a variety of reasons that we have nowhere near the thousands of listeners that we do, but rest assured, <laughs> it's, it's the truth. There are no two people for whom it is more of a surprise than us. <laughs> hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda.
I did. I'm going to give it to uh, Lieutenant Stamets, the uh, chief engineer slash scientist of Starship Discovery. He is willing to take Michael Burnham's word for it that it's a great idea to point-to-point transport the tardigrade into the most important part of the ship, the place where they grow the spores that they're using for their thing, but doesn't trust her enough to not hold a phaser out at it, which is the thing that is going to make it crazy and kill everybody. (laughs) Uh, I just, I I felt like that character like should have bought it a hundred percent because she, you know, explained it to him on a scientific level that he could understand or bought it zero percent and just said, no, the phaser is a device we know not to affect the tardigrade. So (laughs) whatever (laughs) statements, We've seen that phaser fail many times now. Yeah, yeah. And and to his credit, he, he calls it a placebo against his doubt against Michael. What it actually is is a placebo against saving his own life. Right, right. Uh, did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? Yeah, I did. In an almost equally life-threatening moment when Michael Burnham <laughs> feeds the tardigrade with Tilly in the room. Like, Michael (laughs) outwardly tells Tilly, I don't know whether this is a suicide mission or not. I'm going to open up this can of Alpo, (laughs) and uh, hopefully the tardigrade won't do to me what it did to our our now recently departed uh, security chief. Tilly remains in the room, and so I'm giving my Shimoda to Tilly. What the fuck? Like, say, if you want to make captain, you should probably live through the episode. <laughs> so so I, w- I would recommend making decisions that ensure that you survive. Fair enough, Adam. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery? Next episode of Star Trek Discovery is Choose Your Pain. And uh, we saw a little promo that featured um, the character Mud, which is uh, exciting to a lot of people who are big fans of the original series. Looks like Captain Lorca is going to get sent to Klingon prison and get his uh, eyes clockwork orange clamped. So that should be fun. Uh, I wonder who's going to have command of the Discovery in his absence. I imagine there's going to be a little bit of a tug of war between uh, Saru and Michael Burnham. If Lorca was the hackman of this episode we just watched, then Saru is kind of the Denzel. The Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison. Produced and edited by Rob Schulte. Music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on Twitter. You can find Ben on there at BenjaminAHR, and Adam is at CutForTime. And make sure to check out the Facebook and Reddit groups to continue the conversation. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.